a little over a couple of weeks ago, my mom, my brothers, our wives, and I moved my dad into a memory care assisted living facility. It hasn't been easy to say the least. My dad's health has been declining for the last couple of years. He has some physical issues. He has some memory issues. He has a form of dementia and every day he seems to be losing more and more of his memory and of his mind. But it's a bit tricky because he seems to be pretty aware of his surroundings. He still knows and remembers most people. To such a degree that we weren't sure if we should place him in a specialized facility for his care. So we had him evaluated and the evaluation came back that it was clearly time to move him into the facility. <laughs> but we knew it wasn't gonna be easy. We knew he wasn't gonna like it. In fact, a few days before when we told him, he emphatically told us that he wasn't going to go. And if you know my dad, he's a big man. Uh, yeah, he said he wasn't gonna go. That was hard. On the day we moved him in, he kind of rose to the occasion. And that morning he said that uh, he didn't want to go, but he was going to go with a good attitude. In the first couple of days, it went, it went fairly well. But then it changed. There have been some okay days. There have been some good days. But there have been a number of times when I visit him, him and he was just lying in his bed, crying. They tell us that that's the professionals. <laughs> they tell us that that's part of the transition. But that's little solace when your dad, the man who's loved you, provided for you, encouraged you, the man who in many ways is your hero is laying on a bed curled up in a ball crying. I don't think that that's his plan and I know it's not my plan. And I know I'm not the only one here this morning who feels like life isn't going according to plan. You may be here and you may have a family member who is experiencing physical difficulties and deterioration. Maybe someone in your family is struggling with some form of mental illness or another. 
maybe when I mentioned my father, you just wish you had a father who loved you. Maybe you thought you were doing really well financially until the inflation and $5 a gallon gas hit. And now you feel like it's just a big financial struggle. Maybe your spouse has betrayed you. Maybe your child has disowned you and has even said that they no longer love you. Maybe you just graduated and you feel all alone without direction. Maybe life's just not going according to plan. But let's be honest. That's not really the issue. It's the questions that come into our minds. Where is God? Where is God in all of this? Does he care? Is he in control? Does he even have a plan? He does. God has a plan. He has a plan for my dad. He has a plan for me. And he has a plan for each one of you. Let's pray a minute. Jesus, I am here this morning to speak your name because I believe there's power in your name. I also believe that you are present here this morning and that you want to speak to each one of us. So I pray, Lord, that you will speak, that you will speak to every hurting and broken heart, to everyone who is facing pain or discouragement or is feeling confused about life. I pray that you will speak to everyone who feels like life is not going according to plan. In Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. If you would, would you take your Bibles and would you open up to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. It's a story about beginnings. We're continuing our study in the book of Genesis, and if you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to grab the Bible that's in the rack in front of you, and you can follow along with the story that we're going to look at this morning. Page 31. This morning we're introduced to a new character. His name is Joseph. It was so interesting for me. As I prepared this sermon, I couldn't help but being struck by God's timing. 
this chapter, this week, this sermon for me. And I also believe that it is for many of you as well. This morning, we're going to look at the first part of Joseph's story. And then I want to share with you four encouragements from this story. Four encouragements that I personally needed this week. And I believe that some of you need today. Early in Joseph's life, I'm pretty sure that he was feeling like many of us, wondering if God had a plan, wondering if God even cared about him, wondering if God was in control. I think Joseph knows how many of us feel this morning. So Genesis chapter 37 as our story opens, we find that Joseph is a 17-year-old young man, and he's living in the town of Hebron, Canaan. He's living there with his 11 brothers and one sister, and this is the start of the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, one day, Joseph is tending his family flock with some of his half-brothers, and some of his brothers do something that's wrong. They violate some kind of rule that they had. So Joseph felt compelled to go and tell his father Jacob about the problem. And when I read this, I think to myself, man, doesn't Joseph know that no one likes a tattletale? But this only probably added fuel to a fire that already existed in their family. Look at verses 3 and 4. Now Israel loved Joseph. Israel, remember, is the new name for Jacob, Joseph's father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. We learn here that Jacob loved his son Joseph more than any of his other children. As a result, he gives his son Joseph a special robe. It's called an ornate robe. He gives him this robe that demonstrates his greater love for his son. And then Joseph? Joseph goes and ends up telling on his brothers. Clearly, not the best way to make friends. But then there's even more fuel added to the fire. Joseph told his brothers and his father about two dreams that he had. And you will see that this probably was not the best idea. But keep in mind, it's God who gave these dreams to Joseph. Let's look at the dreams. The first dream, verse 6. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly... My sheaf rose and stood upright. Well, your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Joseph told his brothers that they were someday going to bow down to him, the younger brother. And the text says they hated him all the more. You think so? Second dream, verse 9. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said. I had another dream. And this time, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. 
Now, it's pretty obvious to me that Joseph never read how to win friends and influence people. But remember, God gave him the dreams. And it is telling that it is these two dreams that were the final two straws that broke the camel's back. Look at verses 19 and 20. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into the one of the cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When the brothers see Joseph coming, their hatred, their anger was so great that they decided to kill their brother. Well, the story continues. In verse 21, we read that Reuben, the oldest brother, heard this. He tries to rescue Joseph from his brothers. So he comes up with an idea and he says, let's throw him into the cistern. But Reuben's thinking to himself, I'm going to come back later and I will rescue Joseph from the cistern and I will take him back to our father. Well, the brothers, they tear off Joseph's clothes, they take his ornate robe off him and they throw him into the cistern. Now, it's interesting to me. Even though Reuben stepped in here to save Joseph's life, with the intention of rescuing him, it's interesting the level of callousness and cruelty that is demonstrated in Joseph's brothers. It's almost unbelievable. Having stripped Joseph of his ornate coat, having thrown him into a pit, into a cistern, they then go and eat a meal. There is no loss of appetite, there is no remorse, there is no pity. There is just callousness and cruelty. And they likely ate the meal while hearing Joseph's cries from the cistern. Cries that we learn later from Genesis 42 that come back to haunt them. Well, while they're eating, a caravan of Ishmaelites approach them. This gives another brother, Judah, an idea that would save Joseph's life. Rather than leaving Joseph to die, let's sell Joseph into slavery. There'll be no murder. There'll be no evidence. And we'll be able to make a little money on the side. It says that they sold him for 20 shekels of silver. Now, Reuben had been gone. He had been gone when his brothers, led by Judah, sell Joseph into slavery. And when Reuben returns, Reuben feels like, oh boy, this plan is going, this is, I'm in trouble now. Joseph's gone. The Ishmaelites have left. Reuben, as the oldest brother, is the one that is going to have to tell his father that Joseph is gone. Now look, think about this. Not only do these brothers not care about Joseph's suffering, it appears that they weren't too concerned about their father Jacob either. They decide to take Joseph's special coat, shred it, cover it in animal blood, 
Then they took it to their father. No gentle approach, no consideration for his feelings, no kind of coming up with a soft tell of a terrible story. Only the crude action of giving this ripped up bloody coat to their father. Heartless. And Jacob's response is what we think Jacob's response would be. He assumed the worst, as would each of us. Verse 33, Jacob, he recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. I am sure that Jacob in his misery was wondering, where is God? Where is God in all of this? He's made me promises that he's gonna bless me and he's gonna bless others through me. Does God even care? Is he even in control? And then look at our main character, Joseph. Look at verse 36. The last verse of chapter 37. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Joseph is now going to be a slave in Egypt. Joseph has to be asking, where is God? Where is God in all of this? Does he care? Is he even in control? And I know this morning that there are some of you who are asking the same questions. Where is God? Where's God in all of this? Does he care? Is he even in control? So this morning, in the midst of our hurt and pain and discouragement, and confusion, I believe that God has four encouragements for us. They were encouragements for me this week, and I pray they will be encouragements for you today. First encouragement for you this morning, God has a plan. God has a plan. Now I know as we look here at Genesis 37, we don't read anything about God. 
God doesn't speak in this chapter. He's not mentioned in this chapter. The skeptic may look at this and say, see, God isn't there. He isn't there when you need him. If he cared, certainly he wouldn't have let this happen to Joseph. He wouldn't even let this happen to Jacob. And this morning, the skeptic in you may be thinking, you may be feeling the exact same thing. If God cared, if God was in control, surely he wouldn't let this happen to me. Whatever it is you're experiencing, whatever discouragement, whatever hurt, whatever pain, the skeptic in you responds and says, but God, why? What's going on? But look what God said earlier in Genesis chapter 15. Years, decades before Joseph was born. Then the Lord said to him, this is the Lord speaking to Abram. Decades before Joseph's born. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward, they will come out with great possessions. Decades before Joseph is even born, God says this to Abraham. God has a plan. God has a plan for Joseph. God has a plan for Israel. And the plan includes 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Now you may think, I don't like that plan. They probably didn't like the plan either. But God's plan was that they needed to be separated out from the Canaanites who were corrupting them. Remember, the people of Israel were starting to worship the gods of Canaan. And God recognizes the potential problems with this. So he has to remove them out of Canaan in order to form a nation unto himself. And by taking them to Israel, God uses that move to bring himself into Egypt. And while the people of Israel are there, they, they form a national identity. They start to recognize that in their oppression, they need to care for each other and they need to care for others. God has a plan in bringing them to Egypt. The plan is that he is ultimately going to bless them and he's going to use them to bless other people. But this is the part of preparation to get them ready for what God has called them to do. He's protecting them and he is using his plan to call them to greater purpose. He has a plan. This past week, I came across this passage from Isaiah where God is speaking. And for me this past week, I read this passage over and over again. Remember this. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. 
I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey from a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, I will do. I read this over and over again and then you know what I did? I started to insert my name in place of rebels. And you know what we're gonna do this morning? We are going to read this again together. And then you are going to assert your name in this blank space on this slide. And we're gonna read this and we're gonna acknowledge together that God is God and he has a plan. Are you ready? Are you ready? Thank you. Remember this. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart, Tom. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon bird of prey. From a far off land a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. God has a plan. And God in Genesis 37 began to work out his plan in and through Jacob and Joseph. And today, God is working his plan in and through you. First encouragement, God has a plan. Second encouragement. The second encouragement is God's plan is all-encompassing. God's plan is all-encompassing. Human plans often fail because we are unable to take every detail into account. We start to make a plan, we write the plan or we think the plan and then we initiate the plan and start to work on the plan and then once we're into working out the plan, we realize that we missed a detail. So what happens to the plan when you miss details? The plan falls apart. My friends, God does not miss any details. The plans do not fall apart. The plan is all-inclusive. God takes into consideration the past, the present, and the future, and takes all the details of the past, the present, and the future, and wraps them all up in his omniscient understanding and works them all out for his plan. Everything is encompassed in his plan because he knows all of the details. As a result, there are no accidents in God's plan. There is no good luck or bad luck in God's plan. There are no coincidences in God's plan. Look back at the story, verses 14 through 17. When Joseph wandered into the field looking for his brothers, he did not just happen to be found and told his brother's location. Verse 24, 
It wasn't coincidence that Joseph was thrown into an empty cistern. Cisterns usually have water in them. This one did not. Verses 25 through 28. The passing caravan headed to Egypt, no accident either. Ending up a slave in Potiphar's house, coincidence? No. God's plan is all-encompassing, it's all-inclusive. Now you may be thinking at this point, if God's plan is all-encompassing, if God's plan is all-inclusive, doesn't that make him responsible for man's sin? If God wanted Joseph and Israel in Egypt, isn't God responsible for Joseph's pride, for the hatred and the anger of Joseph's brothers, for the brothers selling Joseph into slavery, for the brothers' deception of their father? Isn't God responsible for all of that? The answer is no. God is not responsible for all of that. Each one of us are responsible for the choices that we make. We're responsible for the good choices we make. We're responsible for the bad choices we make. God has blessed us with the free will to make our own choices. But what is beyond me is how God is able to use my good choices and my bad choices to accomplish his sovereign plan. God somehow works all of these things, all of the good, all of the bad, and takes all of these details and works them into his plan. We call that a mystery. I can't completely wrap my mind around that mystery. And I'm guessing you're not able to wrap your mind around that mystery as well. It's a mystery how God uses sin to accomplish his plan. It is a mystery how God uses suffering to produce glory. It's a mystery how God brings life out of death. But it is a beautiful mystery that demonstrates that God is God. God's plan is all-encompassing. It's all-inclusive. Which leads us to the third encouragement. God's plan is for his glory. Number one, God has a plan. Number two, his plan is all-encompassing. And number three, God's plan is for his glory. Look at this other text from Isaiah. Listen closely as I read. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This morning, God is telling you that you are precious in his sight. He is telling you this morning 
that he loves you. He sees you. He knows what you are going through. You're precious in his sight. And he says, because you are precious in my sight, you have no reason to be afraid. You're precious in God's sight. He loves you. So don't be afraid. But why? Why? Verse 7 tells us. It says, because he made us for his glory. Now, glory is a hard thing to define. It's kind of hard to comprehend. And maybe some mental images or some examples, some illustrations will help you. Imagine you're sitting on the shore of Lake Michigan and it's about 9.30, 9.40 at night and you're, and you're watching that sun and you're watching that kind of orange, red, illuminating ball. And it's slowly, slowly going down and it sinks itself into Lake Michigan and all of a sudden there are the rays of the sunlight that kind of shoot and spread out into the sky. And you think to yourself, oh, that is so beautiful. That's glory. Or maybe you're out west and you're on the top of one of the Rocky Mountains and maybe you're skiing and you've come up and you come off the chairlift and as you exit the chairlift, you kind of turn and you turn and you face and you're like, because out in front of you, there is expanse of mountains. As far as the eye can see, there is peak after peak after peak, and they're covered by snow. And as you stand there, you recognize the magnificence of these mountains. That's glory. Or maybe you're watching Simone Biles, and she is doing a vault and as she's doing her vault, she runs as fast as she possibly can down that lane. She hits the bounce, that tramp. She bounces, hits the vault, spins like a triple something in the air, and lands and sticks it. It's glory. Or maybe it's the three-point buzzer beater at the end of the game. Glory. And that's maybe the best I can do describing glory. And it doesn't even come close to describing the glory of God. The glory of God is the combination in all of the fullness of all of his attributes. So it's his magnificence. It's his wonder. It's his awesomeness. It's his mercy. It's his love. It's his grace. It is the wonder of God all combined, the fullness of every attribute of God all combined into one personal being. The majesty and the glory and the greatness of God. And God says that he has a plan that is for his glory. And what he has done by declaring that he loves you and that you are precious in his sight is he is declaring that you are part of that plan. Because you and I, because we are made in the image of God, we are meant to reflect his glory to the people we come in contact with. So the coming people we come in contact with in and through us are actually able to get a glimpse, not a fullness, but a glimpse of God's glory. So in putting Joseph and Israel 
in the midst of slavery in Egypt. What God is doing is in the difficulties of life, he is wanting them to reflect his glory to the people that are witnessing what is happening to them. But likewise, through the high times or the successes of life, God is wanting us to continue to reflect his glory to the people we come in contact with. God is chosen to create us, to call us precious, to love us, and because we are in his image, he is using us to reflect this glory in the difficult times and in the hard times so that people will able to turn to the one true God and worship him. Make sense? God has a plan. It is an all-encompassing plan, and it is for his glory. But not only is it for his glory, it is also for your good. Did you hear me? Write this down, please. The plan is for his glory, and it is also for your good. Look what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 28. He writes, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now there may be some of you here this morning who are reading this verse for the very first time. Very first time. And you are reading this morning that we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God works in all things for your good. Maybe the first time you read this. Or you may be here this morning and you have read this verse so much that it has become a cliche for you. You know what? I don't really care either way. I don't care if it's the first time you read it. I don't care if it's a clay of chay for you. What I'm here to tell you this morning is that it's true. God is working right now all things together for your good. No matter what you are going through, no matter what difficulty you are experiencing, no matter what hardship, no matter what confusion you are in the midst of right now, God is working all things for your good if you are called according to his purpose. Now, I need to be clear here. It does not say he is working all things for everyone's good. It says he is working all things for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Which means, if you are here this morning and you believe in Jesus Christ, if you have given your life to him as your Lord and as your Savior, that means that you are called according to his purpose. And that means he is working out all things for your good. But if you're here this morning and you have not yet given your life to Jesus, if you do not yet believe, this verse does not apply to you because he's not necessarily working all things for your good. Now, he does work some things. But his goal is to draw you close so that you believe in him through Jesus Christ so that then he can work all things for your good because then you will be called according to his purpose. This is true. I don't know right now all the things that God is doing in my dad's life. 
I don't even know all the things God is doing in my life. So I'm not gonna surmise what God may be doing in your life. But what I do know is God has promised to work all things according to your good and for your good. So I stand here this morning choosing to believe in faith that God is working all things for my dad's good, he's working all things for my good, and he's working all things for your good. In the midst of your financial struggle, he is working all things for your good. In the midst of the broken relationship, he is working all things for your good. In the midst of the wayward child, he is working all things for your good. In the midst of the loneliness, he is working all things for your good. This morning, the plan is not only for his glory. It's for your good, my friend. And you and I, we have the opportunity to display God's glory in the midst of the difficulties of life, as well as displaying his glory when everything seems to be going well and perfectly. And in that, God is personally, personally moving, working, and interacting in and through you to carry out his plan, which includes working all things for the good, for your good. God has a plan. It's all-encompassing. It's for his glory and also for your good. At the end of Genesis chapter 37, Joseph has a choice to make. Joseph is at a crossroads. He can look around at his circumstances, at his difficult, troubling, dire, confusing circumstances. And he can choose to go down a road that is only going to lead to more discouragement, despair, confusion, resentment, and bitterness with the people all around him and with God as well. Or Joseph can choose to believe in faith that God has a plan that is all-encompassing, that is for God's glory, and it's for Joseph's good. We know as we read the rest of Joseph's story which road he picked. This morning... I ask you, what road are you going to choose? Let's pray.